I think it's the girdle of truth and then the helmet of salvation. Truth. It's the first piece. If we don't have truth, nothing else works. If you have a, a rocket that's launching for Jupiter, um, and it is one inch off at its point of launch at Cape Canaveral, what will happen to its journey to Jupiter? It will miss it by probably a million miles. Everything else can be right. But if we start with the wrong, with the lie, then uh, nothing else will work, even if we're doing everything else right. So what does this mean, the truth? Okay, this goes to Romans 12, what we've looked at, 1 and 2, renew, renewing the mind. How do you and I renew our mind? What does that look like? to return to the Lord and we do that by confession and repentance and you may think okay I'm rep I've repented of my behavior but I keep doing it uh, I, uh, I am confessing that I've obviously got something wrong here I just don't know what it is so and part of the return to the Lord is show me where the lies are a part of binding Satan is finding where the lies are if we don't know where the lie is, then we, the truth is not going to, to uh, find its landing. So asking the Lord to show me where the lies are that I am believing. That will start with your head. It will probably not start with an illumined heart. Uh, I can't talk and write at the same time. Uh, it will start with the head. It won't liberate you, but you get it going. And then you write down what the truth is, even though you don't feel like this is the truth, and just keep it before you. You go to Scripture. So you go to His Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. This means... Remember, we looked at 2 Corinthians last week, and it's a very aggressive pulling down of the strongholds. It's a very warlike move. You and I have to make up our mind that if I've got a stronghold that's, that's ruling in my life, a part of binding Satan is me making a commitment to go to the Lord and his word and scour it and stay in it until there are pieces of scripture that come out at, at me and come alive. Or scripture that doesn't, but I know it's truth, and so I stay in that scripture and I meditate it and I absorb it. So go to the Word and stay in the Word. And when a temptation comes to get you back into the stronghold behaviors, use that Word and say, No, Satan, this is a lie, and I know I want to believe in it, but here's what the truth is. So you use the Word. 
Now, one of the fundamental things, and the reason I went into the frozen grief and the messages that get locked in that frozen grief, those are the messages that rule in the stronghold. That's why you have to thaw out the grief and get it going because when grief hits its original emotion and it's thawing things out and it's moving, it will begin to release the lies. Okay? Uh, when I, early on, the children were really small, and I, I, I've shared it either here or on Sunday morning, so just if I've shared it here, raise your hand. And I won't have to share it again. But I went to a place of just right at a nervous breakdown. And it was because I was discounting a significant thing in Scripture that I had just talked myself, I'd intellectualized it right out of the Scripture. You know, Thomas Jefferson excised some scriptures from the New Testament that he didn't agree with. Well, I had excised something that I didn't agree with and didn't think it was legitimate. And I went to the brink of a nervous breakdown, and the Lord caught me at the last moment with a scripture in my head that was no way I could have come up with it because I didn't believe in it. And when I used that scripture and I said, if this is true, <laughs> I'm going to speak it. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I'm going to speak it to you, Satan. And I did. And there was sort of an instantaneous, the next day, when I really carried through with it, there was an instantaneous delivering of me from the brink of not being able to be a functional mother. And I decided to wait for three weeks to make sure the miracle stuck. And I didn't fall back into my dysfunction and malfunction. And after three weeks, and it never returned, and I was probably 28, um, if that. But I, anyway, once at three weeks had happened, I just said to the Lord, I said, Lord, why did you spare me? And I have two or three friends that were hospitalized because of nervous breakdowns. One had shock treatment because of nervous breakdown. And why did you spare me? And he didn't answer me in the way I thought he would answer me, but it was a direct mental sentence. And he said, Brenda, even the great physician cannot heal you if you offer to him only your symptoms. That became the foundational work of my counseling. You have to look at what the original issue is. That's why you have to go to where is the lie and how did it get set up because it's the lie that's feeding the behaviors. It's the lie that's feeding the OCD. It's the lie that's feeding the fears. You have to find the original lie. And sometimes you have to go back to find that to the original grief and the original emotion, because it's locked up in that frozen place in us, if that grief has not, has not been captured in the flask of your own heart. If it's frozen up, it's in a frozen state, and the messages of that grief are also frozen there. And the lies are hidden. Yes. Part. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a person going to counseling and not 
telling the truth to a counselor, they're going to fix a lie with another lie. Yeah. Instead of really saying that the situation really is going on with the counselor to them and really truly then help. That's the, what I'm receiving now than you're saying. Yes. Yes, and, and it has to go to the... See, when I spoke that scripture, it had to do with... Well, I had in intellectualized myself out of the existence of Satan. I had decided he didn't exist. That Satan was just the name that we had, society had put to evil. That evil existed, but Satan didn't. And the phrase that came across, the, like the pages of my mind, the, the lines of the pages of my mind, it was like a stamp across those lines, get thee behind me, Satan. And I thought, I don't even believe in Satan. Where did that come from? But when the next day I said, Satan, if you exist, and if you have anything to do with what's going on in my life, I hate what you do. I hate who you are. And I don't want to have anything to do with you. So in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of my life right now. And within three minutes, the hurting that had been in my stomach for weeks and weeks and weeks was gone. And that's when God said, Brenda, I can't heal, even as the great physician, if you only give me your symptoms. You have to give me the disease, the real issue. So our behaviors are the symptoms. They're the symptoms of the lies that are caught in, in, in the, um, the stronghold. And so the beginning of binding Satan is getting into the word and at least knowing what the truth is, in the head at least, and, and letting the truth began to more and more be absorbed by just staying in the word, hearing yourself say it, hearing it. And so you have the psalmist in, is it 119? 11 or 111, where he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The journey is uh, from renewing the mind to hiding the word in the heart. We, that means you and I have to stay in the word and be committed to it. And after a while of renewing the mind which is in the soulish realm, the emotions will begin to buy into it more and more. Now, this is a, it's a process. But once the heart grabs hold of it, what does that, the, the phrasing of that scripture in Psalms suggest? Hiding the word in my heart does what? Empowers me against the sin. It's an empowering agent in and of itself, once the word um, gets into the heart. Uh, are there any thoughts or comments before we go on here? And for me personally, I couldn't go on with uh, any sense of the place mm -hmm. until I went and confessed the five lies he had against me. Okay. He spoke that directly to you. That's five things against you, and they are lies that you have carried since you were of the age of accountability. Okay. Okay. And until I confessed that, I couldn't even go on. Yes, and even if you don't really buy into it, but you know it's contrary to Scripture, so you say, Lord, I confess that this is a lie. I mean, I'm still, it still got me, but I confess that it is a lie, and sometimes that confession alone transforms. Because it's a giving of your will. Yes. Right? Yes. Like you started the, the 
Yes. But so many times, I know I, at that time, I didn't want to visit it. So I didn't want to give my will over. Right? <laughs> yes. Because I have to visit I have to get my will over to visit it and get rid of it. <laughs> And, and so we have these places where we're conflicted. Do I want to upend my life for several months trying to work on this? That's one of them. Would I rather upend my life for a few months or have my life upended by another's hand for the rest of my life? What do I want? And so this goes to Philippians 3.10 through 14. Where it says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. What do you want? The next one is a vision. What is your vision for your life? Do you want to follow Christ? Do you want to pursue him? Do you want to pursue his ways and his truth? If you do, start staying in. I would say read Philippians 3.10. Um, and I'll put this, this down here because it belongs on this, um, this board. You had Romans 12, 1 and 2. You have Philippians 3.10. Create a vision. What do you want? Let that get deeper and deeper and deeper in you to where the heart itself begins to long for that. As a deer pants after water, so my soul longs after you. Yes, so it press on toward the mark of the prize of Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Christ has come to set you and me free. He offers freedom. He offers the ability to bring down strongholds. That's the vision of Christ. And press into that even when you don't yet believe it. Walk toward it. Saying, okay, God... I'm, I'm calling your hand on this. You can do that. If you don't have any more faith to believe in it, you can just say, okay, uh, I'm going to jump out of this boat and I'll either sink or walk on the water because I don't know how to swim. So get in the Word. Let it renew you. Let it move down deeper and deeper into your heart. This is staying in the Word. Uh, let's go on to Second um, uh, Corinthians uh, 10 and look at some of these other things here, how they work. Um, I'm not in Second Corinthians. Is somebody in Second Corinthians 10, starting with verse 3? Would you read it? physical, weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Okay, keep going. Inasmuch as we refuse arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that, ed that edge of God, I'm oh, sorry, it sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away, passing into the obedience of Christ and the Son Okay, let me, let me back up here. Um, 
King James says it, and it's a little more awkward, but it's more picturesque. Cast down imaginations, and every high thing exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is where, when stuff comes into your head that's connected to the stronghold, as quickly as you can, catch it and be aggressive. That casting down is an aggressive military move. It is, it is just taking a thing by the neck and nailing it to the ground. And that yokes over to Ephesians 6 where he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. That word wrestle has to do with the Greek and Roman wrestling that happened at the time of Paul. And this casting down carries with it the idea of when the, the wrestlers, the one who won, would grab his opponent by the neck and slam him down to the ground and hold him until he gave up and stopped fighting. It's that kind of assertive aggression because strongholds don't come down by passivity. And it has to do with the mind. This is the battlefield for the mind. Second Corinthians has to do with the mind. If, it, uh, Ephesians has to do with def defensiveness, keeping strongholds from being set up, closing all the gaps in the armor. Strongholds have to do with gaps that have been in the armor and Satan's uh, enemy, the enemy, has gotten in and set up camp. And so once he's set up camp, we have to be willing to be vigilant, Remember that word where he says watch and stand in Ephesians 6? That word is a compound word for watch. It means um, to be sleepless and to chase. So you can't stop being watchful. And when you see something coming into your mind, an imagination, a fantasy, a daydreaming, thinking about Bluebell ice cream. <laughs> and it just kind of, and it just kind of, you build your own little Walter Mitty scenario. When your Walter Mitty moments come and they have to do with the areas of your weakness, it says, cast those down as soon as you can. And it also says in the King James, in an awkward way, have a readiness when you have done everything, have a readiness to avenge every disobedience. What does that mean? He says, King James, why should I tell you what it means? But I love the picture of it. Be ready to avenge any disobedience that comes into your mind or into your action. The minute you catch that you're doing something related to the stronghold that you don't need to be doing, you're thinking something you don't need to be thinking, the minute you catch it, go against it. Don't be casual. This all has to do with binding the strong man. It's not the victory, but it is the path to the victory. So have a readiness to avenge all disobedience. Be watchful. If you don't have strongholds at this point in your life, Ephesians 6 that we looked at last week and the picture of the angels that my husband saw, they were watching. The picture of the angels that my friend's housekeeper last week saw, week before last saw, they were watching. They know what we don't know. They know that even they 
have to watch. We have to keep our sphere safe from them and safe in the Lord. And we cannot be casual. We cannot make a casual commitment. We have to say, okay, here I stand. I'm not. Because standing is one of those things when we've done all we know to do, we stand. Now here's the thing. Once you've done everything you know to do and you're as faithful to being vigilant, being watchful, standing in an aggressive, warlike manner, coming against everything aggressively, the strongholds are probably still going to be there. But they'll be weakening. And here's the one thing that you do. When you've done all you know to do, you stand and you ask, you pray this prayer. Lord, I ask you to touch that place in me I can't reach. I ask you to do the work that remains in me that I can't get at. Faithfully do that. Don't look for the signs. Faithfully do that. Touch that place in me I cannot reach. And he will do the work that you can't do. You and I must do the work we can do. And he does what we cannot. That is one of the most important prayers you can ever pray. As he sees fit. Yes. Now, here is where other things come in on how we bind our role in binding Satan. This is where counseling comes in. This is where groups, uh, community, uh, the church community, family, where they keep us watchful. Counseling on a regular basis, group work on a regular basis that's done appropriately and rightly, uh, friends who keep us accountable, they keep us watchful. They keep us from coasting. They keep us from getting slack and lazy and just floating down the river. Those things are important because they help us be aware of what the truth is that we are blind to. I remember one time I was re uh, leading when my son was a teenager and he was just going through a mess. And Carolyn Gehring and I were both in crisis too and we decided we were going to co-lead a, a, a group of women in crisis support group. And so one day I thought, well, I can't act like I'm not in crisis so I'm going to have to be honest and share what's going on. And so I shared it. And Sherry Dimitri was just one of these very sophisticated, very intelligent, articulate women that was in the group. And she was going through a crisis. And I shared this going on. And I got through, and there was this silence. And Sherry said, after a while, she said, that is a nightmare. <laughs> and it's like, well, I wouldn't think it was a I wouldn't call it a nightmare. I'm thinking that. And then I'm thinking and that, all the things I just shared. And I thought, you know what? I've been in denial. It is a nightmare. I needed to hear from somebody outside of my own blind 
you know, blinds are not just for hunting. <laughs> They're for hiding in and being blind to the reality and her, that person outside of my blind, spoke truth into it and it shifted how I prayed and how I saw things. And I needed that. You and I, if we're going to finish binding the strong man so that God can, is loose to go in and take his possession, which is us. That part of us that's bound up by the stronghold is his possession. But he has to be bound. And what we're talking about here tonight is steps in, um, in that binding. Uh, Finding where the lies are begins to remove the points of agreement. He cannot establish a stronghold in us if he doesn't have a place in me that agrees with him on a point. And very quickly, and we'll, we'll kick in on this next week, uh, the loosing, forgiveness in its right time in its due season is a loosing of the Lord in my soul. So to get to your original question, forgiveness, relinquishing, letting go of the things that I can't change and saying, Lord, you do in me what I can't do. That's relinquishment. Acknowledging my inability to change the stronghold on my own. I can do what I can do. The children of Israel did not part the Red Sea, but they walked toward it. They could, they could do that. They could walk toward the Red Sea. In confusion and bewilderment, we're walking toward the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is behind us. What a picture of spiritual warfare. What a picture of, uh, picture of strongholds. But Moses says, okay, walk toward the Red Sea. Okay, we're going to walk toward the Red Sea. And it was their obedience that triggered God's power to part the waters. I had a Bible teacher and freshman in uh, college that he said, well, it was just a marshy area. It's called the Reed Sea and not really the Red Sea. And I thought, well, what an amazing, even bigger miracle that the entire Egyptian army drowned in ankle-deep water. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it closed down on the whole Egyptian army. They didn't part the water. They didn't keep the water open, but they did what they could do, and that's walk toward the impossible. You and I are asked to walk toward the impossible. The impossible in your life and mine are the strongholds. But we do all that we can do, and then God does what we can't. We can pull down the imaginations. We just can't actually pull down the strongholds. It is the work of the power of God once the children of Israel marched around Jericho for seven times in that last day, and then he said, shout. And it wasn't the shout that brought the walls down. But if they hadn't shouted, the walls probably would not have come down. If I may, this is so, you know, it's like, I, it's like a domino effect in my brain right now as far as just over the years and understanding that, you know, God puts us in places to expose those things in us so he can then judge it. Until we obey and until they're exposed, those things aren't necessarily judged in us and destroyed. That's right. It's like coming to that place in obedience. It was like they were used as bait to lead 
Uh huh. Yes. Yes. They were used as they to lead them then into their own destruction. But it's in that act of obedience and in that surrender, like what you were saying, when we truly trust in Him and surrender to say, Father, I do, I ask that you expose those things in me so you can deal with them and destroy them. Yes. It is so, then that's the, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. Yes. In other words, stupid. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Exactly. He can only bring down the walls of Jericho. But they made themselves a fool. Can you imagine what the people thought on the wall? At these people that marched seven times, for what, six days, and then on the seventh day, they marched seven times in that seven day. Can you imagine them laughing at these crazy people? What are they doing? And then they shouted. And then all at once, everything came down. Ask the Lord to touch that place in you you cannot reach. And relinquish what you know to relinquish because that is you getting out of God's way. You do what you can, God does what you cannot. When I'm trying to do what God only can do, I am in his way. When I'm trying to control outcome, I am in his way. But I can discipline my thoughts. I can come against my disobediences as soon as I recognize it. I can do those things. So relinquishing and forgiving and having the accountability, but relinquishing and forgiving and... Um, In that forgiveness is extending grace and mercy. That's a journey. We will go into the loosing of God more next week. This is just an outline, and we will go into more detail next week on the forgiveness and the loosing of God's power in your life to bring down the walls of Jericho. Are there thoughts or questions or comments on what we've covered tonight? Has it been confusing or uh, helpful or the jury is out? It's exciting. I'll just tell you, I mean, I am so excited. I truly am excited because the Father has, uh, he has appointed this time for us to so be set free. And it's like, oh, we be, there's a ten spies that are set down into the land. And yes, there's giants in the land, but we can take it. Yes. Are we going to have the faith of Joshua and Caleb, and move forward into those promises to say, yes, Father. It's like so exciting to say, Father, it's like it's renewing even in more so of a willingness to say, yes, I desire to come before you to truly deal with those things, to truly then set me free, not just for myself, but then for my family, yes. for my children, and my children. Say is one of the reasons outside help is helpful is not just because of what Sherry Dimitri spoke as truth into my blindness. But on our own, it's very hard for us to get the grief process moving again. And a counselor can help you find the original point of pain 
and then go to the original grief, which is very overwhelming. But once it gets started, then the river of the Holy Spirit begins to be set free in that deep inner place 